Hello, and welcome to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. My name is Jonathan Rosenfeld, an attorney at Rosenfeld Injury Lawyers, LLC. This podcast is here to break down the barriers when it comes to the world of personal injury law. Each podcast will go into detail about a specific legal issue or type of personal injury case, from everyday occurrences to the esoteric. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. For more information, visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. Hello, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld, and today on the Personal Injury Law Podcast, I am joined by attorney Marty Gould, and we are going to talk about an area of uh, emerging area of litigation involving uh, sexual abuse that occurred uh, in schools and specifically in boarding schools. Um, this is an area that Marty has considerable experience with, and I, I really appreciate his insight. Um, Marty, to begin with, um, boarding schools in general, a lot of people, a lot of parents send their children to boarding schools because they are looking for, you know, uh, a school that can provide them with uh, individualized instruction where they may get some more personalized attention, um, which is great. But unfortunately, I think what we're seeing in some situations is uh, some teachers and some other school officials may be taking this uh, a little bit too far, a little bit too extreme. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your experience with uh, abuse in a boarding school setting? Sure. Well, John, there's um, 67 New England private boarding schools. Uh, and over the past 25 years, according to a Boston Globe story, more than 200 students have accused private school authorities of sexual abuse or sexual harassment. And that includes teachers, administrators, staff members, and even in one case, an admissions officer. Um, one of the issues with the boarding schools is that it, you're in a more intimate setting with the teachers. They're not only teaching you, but sometimes they're living in the dorms. They're inviting you to their homes. Um, and because of the access that you have to a teacher, which can be good in certain circumstances, it also makes children more vulnerable. And that's often where children are abused. They're groomed by somebody who's supposed to be their mentor. Uh, and there's more opportunities to abuse the child because they're also interacting with the student outside of the classroom. It's like I said, sometimes even in the, in the teacher's homes. Um, and that's why it's important for a school to have the right policies and procedures in place to make sure students who are uniquely vulnerable at a boarding school are safe. And, you know, I think one of the, you know, positive things of these boarding schools is that it, they really are all encompassing when it comes to school, when it comes to sports, when it comes to socialization, uh, when it comes to, to living arrangements. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, we've seen in some situations is that these schools have really insulated the students from the outside world. And sometimes these episodes of abuse may go on for some time without getting reported until after the fact. Um, can you share maybe a, a without getting into uh, too much detail or, or anything, can you share some situations that you know you may have run into uh, 
where someone is a victim in this setting? We've had several cases involving sexual abuse students by teachers at boarding schools. Um, and then in one of the instances, sometimes uh, there's a feeling to protect the school's reputation at the expense of the allegation. And they either ask the teacher to quietly resign where then they go on and uh, they can apply to another school and they can abuse a child again. Uh, that's called passing the trash. Um, and in those circumstances, you can potentially hold both institutions responsible. Uh, in a case that John, you and I recently resolved, um, the school didn't have a two adult policy in regards to having the students at teachers' houses or, or places at a room private. And unfortunately, one teacher was able to groom a student, uh, invite the student back to their home, and then began abusing them there. And that's why it's important for schools to have the right policies like a two adult uh, policy when it comes to being with students in private settings uh, and other policies to make sure that the children are safe um, because their parents aren't around like they would be in a, a regular public high school or a high school you attend uh, in your own community. One of the, the things that comes up in, in boarding school cases and really all types of um, sexual abuse is this whole concept of grooming. Um, and when we talk about grooming, it's, it's sort of a, it seems sort of an innocuous type thing to begin with, but it, you know, over time, these relationships sort of morph from uh, a peer relationship or teacher student relationship into something that transitions into something much more deviant. Um, can you talk a little bit about this grooming concept and what's sort of involved in some of these situations? John, one of the supposed benefits of attending a boarding school is the opportunity to, to develop close bonds with your teachers. You know, they, they, they're in a better position maybe to write a recommendation because they see you so often. Um, and, you know, predators are able to use that expectation that they'll be able to be close with that student unsupervised and they take advantage of it. So it, you know, innocent invitations to uh, go to, you know, sporting events, lunches, dinners by yourself with the teacher can turn into, you know, building trust with that student um, and the student becomes confident with that relationship. And then that's when the relationship can take a turn where they can be abused. You know, John, in a case that we had, uh, the teacher was using her position of power to coerce the student into continuing a relationship that they wanted to get out of. They, the student's grades were docked while they were uh, while he's attending the school, um, and he and he felt like he was trapped. He was trying to get into college, and, and then when he tried to step away from the relationship, it suffer, he suffered ac academically. Um, and that's essentially how it happens. It's that confidence that you build, and it, they're grooming you early on, uh, and, and that's how they can take advantage of you. Now, in boarding school cases, and and really all civil litigation. There's, a, there's an issue of statute of limitations. A lot of times, you know, this episode may occur when someone's, you know, young, they may be in their early teen years or something. Uh, and, you know, it may not be for 10 or 20 years after the episode that they actually develop the, the confidence to come forward and say, hey, look, this happened to me. I was a victim here. Um, there's a lot of feelings of, of guilt. There's a lot of feelings of uh, 
sadness, anger, frustration, it goes on and on and on. But ultimately there's, you know, these statute of limitations, these time constraints to file a case. Um, obviously these cases are, are fact dependent, but can you talk a little bit about how the statute of limitations applies to a boarding school sexual abuse case? So the statute of limitations that applies generally would be the statute of limitations uh, for childhood sexual abuse within the state in which the boarding school and in, in which the abuse occurred. Uh, and that can vary from state to state. What's important to know is that because of the public pressure, because of the media attention regarding childhood sexual abuse, um, politicians have changed a lot of laws that have now allowed survivors to finally bring claims that may have been expired. That's why it's very important to speak to a lawyer to find out uh, if there's uh, if the laws have changed, whether it's through what's called a revival statute that creates a, a window in which you can file claims that may have been uh, uh, barred by a time limit, or if there's any, to check to see if there's any legislation pending in that state. So people will call me and say, I heard that uh, the statute of limitations expired in XYZ state. And I'll say that's true, except that there's a bill pending in your state legislature that may be passed that will say, you may have an opportunity to bring this case you know, in six months. Um, so we, we follow all those in all the different states that we're in to make sure that uh, you know, we know if, if there's gonna be an opportunity to bring these claims. You know, I think the what you just spoke about in terms of the, you know, the evolving law that applies to these situations is really the reason why people need to reach out to an attorney who has an ex experience with these cases specifically, because a lot of times, you know, I've heard people, I've spoken to people who said, hey, I spoke to, a, you know, my, my accident attorney down the street, I, I spoke to him or her about the situation and they told me I don't have a case. Um, at the end of the day, they really need to talk to someone who has experience with these particular cases. Um, now, if someone you know, is, is watching this and they say, hey, uh, I wanna reach out to an attorney, but I don't have the assets, I don't have the funds to hire an attorney, um, what would you say to them? How do you handle these types of cases and how would you, you know, help someone if they don't have the funds necessary to, to fund this type of litigation? Well, first, John, I'd say that it's always important to know your rights. You know, even if we take on cases, even if the statute of limitations has expired, we try and do an outreach to the, the church or the boarding school or whomever it may be to see what kind of, what, what kind of possible resolution we can reach even without filing a lawsuit. Um, the last thing that a, a survivor needs to deal with uh, in these situations is worrying about paying legal fees. And that's why we don't charge any money for any, any consultation. We don't charge any fees unless we can actually get uh, a compensation and a recovery for the survivor. If we're, if we're unable to, if we take on the case and we, and we for whatever reason, cannot uh, obtain any type of settlement, the survivor doesn't owe us any money. Well, I appreciate your time. And hopefully if people are watching this and they have some questions, they'll certainly be able to reach out to you because you're certainly an advocate for uh, these people. So thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your uh, podcast, John. Thank you for listening to the Personal Injury Law Podcast. 
I'm Jonathan Rosenfeld. If you or anyone you know would like more information on any of the topics on the podcast, please visit my website at rosenfeldinjurylawyers.com. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Please feel free to rate the show and leave a review. Thanks again for listening and have a great day. 